0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now about eight days after Jesus had foretold his death and resurrection, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment became dazzling white. And behold, two men talked with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they wakened, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said." As he said this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silence and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. There's this great scene in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's been burned into my brain since about the age of 12 or whenever my parents finally let me watch that movie where Indiana meets his nemesis. And his nemesis is talking about how he wants to find the ark because he wants to talk to God. And Indiana, in his very, I'm not your typical professor, swallowed rage sort of way, says to his enemy, you want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. As he reaches for his pistol. The threat is clear, right? Let's die together, bro. This is essentially what he's saying. If we consider death as the entrance into another plane of existence, which in a sense is what Christianity teaches to be absent the body is to be present with the Lord, whatever that could mean. And if we take seriously what the Scripture teaches, that no one may see God and live, and also that when we see God, we will become like him. And if we take seriously the church's teaching that the beatific vision, the vision of God in his glory, is the telos, the destination, the end, the purpose for which all of us have been made. Death is another plane of existence. No man may see God and live, and yet when we see him, we will be made like him, and seeing him is why we were made. If we take all of that seriously, allow me to digress for just a moment. In 1947, Flannery O'Connor wrote in her prayer journal, Dear Lord, please make me want you. It would be the greatest bliss, not just to want you when I think about you, but to want you all the time, to have the want driving in me, to have it like a cancer in me. It would kill me like a cancer. And that would be the fulfillment. 116 years before she wrote these words, almost to the day, in 1831, Nicholas Matovalov went to see St. Seraphim of Serov to learn of his wisdom in the spiritual life. And as Seraphim patiently explained to Nicholas the aim of the spiritual life, which in his words is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit, that's the purpose of being a spiritual creature, a change took place in the midst of the hermit's foggy forest dwelling, and Seraphim asks Nicholas, My son, why don't you look at me? Nicholas replied, I cannot look, Father, because your eyes are flashing like like, like lightning. Your face has become brighter than the sun, and my eyes ache with pain. Father Seraphim said, don't be alarmed. Now you yourself have become as bright as I am. You are now in the fullness of the Spirit of God yourself. Otherwise, you would not be able to see me as I am. Nicholas, who records this event for us, goes on to describe with great vividness the holistic experience that he and Seraphim had of God's presence, both inwardly and exteriorly. Almost 560 years before that, St. Thomas Aquinas had been undergoing his own experience. This Dominican friar is known throughout the world as one of the most formidable theologians in the medieval era. His writing on theology is immense, and it has spawned entire schools of theological philosophy. This dude was a genius. But a few months before his death, for weeks, he had been weeping almost uncontrollably in the Eucharist liturgy. And on December 6th, as he celebrated Mass, Thomas had a vision of God that so upended his life, he never wrote another word. And when cajoled by his assistant, take up your pen and write, he said, all I have written seems like straw to me compared with what I have seen. And he was dead within a few months. 1,200 years before Thomas had his vision, A Jewish mystic and rabbi led three of his students up Mount Tabor to pray, and as this mystic was at prayer, his disciples saw that his face changed and his clothing became as light itself. 900 years before that, a Hebrew prophet and mystic, having had many encounters with the divine, was walking with his own disciple when a whirlwind snatched the mystic and carried him to heaven, and his disciple was barred from reaching after him by a chariot made of fire. 500 years before that, an Egyptian-born Hebrew, another mystic, encountered a vision of God that left a blinding light in his face such that the people he was leading asked him to veil it. Each of these people shared a similar desire, and it's the desire that Flannery articulated so Flannery O'Connerly a desire to want God, but not just to want him, to want him to a degree that it becomes like a cancer, to desire him to the point of death. So what I want to say to you this morning is that if you want to see God, you must become like God, and it will require you to enter another plane of existence. In Luke's capturing of the transfiguration, everything has meaning. It starts with eight days after these things. Well, the eighth day is the day of new creation. It's the day of resurrection. Eight days after these things, and we'll get back to what those things were in just a moment, Jesus leads some of his disciples up the mountain. Jesus leads them. Right away, we recognize that the vision of God is not something that is just stumbled upon. It is something we are brought to by God himself. It is a gift. Jesus leads his disciples, and he leads them up the mountain. The vision of God is a result of spiritual ascent. Moses spent 40 days without food, communing with God in the mountain. Elijah was fed by ravens, taking no thought for his own life. Thomas spent all of his mental faculties trying to perceive God in his glory, Seraphim, we're told, spent 1,000 nights in prayer after being attacked by thieves and left for dead. As Jesus himself taught, only the pure in heart may see God. Jesus leads them, and he leads them up the mountain, and he only leads some of them. St. Chrysostom tells us that only these three were considered worthy of the vision that would envelop them as I have been studying this text and reading uh, a slew of patristic sermons about this event, which was very important to the early church, it's become clearer and clearer to me that Peter, James, and John are not just three bumbling idiots who happen to be in the right place at the right time. Only the pure in heart may see God. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. He was one of his closest disciples who would later be called the high priest of the church. John's devotion to Christ was such that he was eventually exiled on Patmos, where he would be given another vision of Christ in glory. Peter loved Christ fervently. And as we encounter him in this text, yes, he is struggling to understand Christ's cross, but he seeks to prevent Christ's crucifixion out of love for his master. Peter's devotion to Christ will eventually lead to his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom, and he will ceremonially be named the first bishop of Rome. James was known as James the Righteous. Such was his virtue. He is described as an ascetic almost to the extreme. And so righteous was he that he was actually buried in the temple, which was the very place of his martyrdom, having been thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death, being killed for confessing Christ as the Messiah. James is the first bishop of Jerusalem. These men sought truth. They sought the knowledge of God and they devoted themselves to his wisdom. Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, something that has been revealed to him by the Father, and they have just been told by Jesus himself that he is going to die. These fathers and pillars of the church have to be given a glimpse of Jesus Christ as God, so that they can understand what they are about to see in Christ's crucifixion. And I think any of these three, as well as any of the other people I've already mentioned, any person who has encountered God in this way is, to, is the first to say that the vision of God is a gift, and it is one that they do not deserve. This is the paradox of the beatific vision, is that it requires all of us our entire will. And yet, should we ever get there, we will realize we had almost nothing to do with it. It was totally a gift of God. The vision of God is the telos of human life. It is our destination, our purpose. But the vision of God is not attainable through human effort. It is a gift of God given as he sees fit. And at the same time, as Luke hints, We must shake off the spiritual stupor and sleepiness that is our typical existence. One of the other translations of this text says that the three disciples of Christ are sleepy and weighed down, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory. There's a connection to staying awake and seeing the glory of God, and this wakefulness is talked about in another way, just verses before our text. Jesus tells his listeners If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." Spiritual ascent entails self-denial. It requires cutting past the desires of the flesh and the tyrannical noise of the world. It requires an undivided heart. It requires seeking the kingdom and righteousness of God first and foremost. And it requires, in a sense, death. An entrance into a whole new plane of existence in which we become like God as we see him. Last week I said that the gift of existence is a gift that requires participation. God gives us our being, but in order for us to be, we must not cut ourselves off from him, for our only beingness is a beingness that is a participation in the divine life. St. Peter, who was with Christ on the mountain, is getting at this in his letter, which we just heard read. And when he says, I want to refresh your memory before I die, and then goes on to talk about his mystical experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's telling them, I want you to constantly remember what I just told you. And what he just told them is this. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may be and may become participants of the divine nature for this very reason you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. It's what St. Seraphim told Nicholas, now you yourself have become as bright as I am, otherwise you would not be able to see me. You become changed by God's presence. If we were to take seriously that we are encountering God's presence here in this place, in the bread and wine, we have to take heed to Peter's words. We have to make every effort to add to our faith the virtues that will make for us an entry into the eternal kingdom, richly provided by God's grace. St. Paul gets at this in a different direction from Ephesians 5 when he tells us to not associate with the disobedient. He says, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. You have been changed. You have been brought into a new plane of existence already. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord, he says. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and the light of Christ will shine on you." If you've spent a significant amount of time in the world of evangelicalism, you no doubt know that yet another author, pastor, celebrity has recently declared that he no longer considers himself a Christian and I bet if I were to pull you, I'd get about 20 different names because this seems to happen with such regularity. It's not as if you need reminders from me that faith, which is always difficult, but somehow in our particular era, in our particular city, is particularly fragile. Following Christ in the desert of this world is not easy. It is to take up a cross. It is to exist in self-denial. And what I want to say this morning is that to be given the vision of God is a gift beyond our wildest imagination. Thomas talked about it as the end for all human beings because it sums up every appetite, every desire we could possibly have just gets obliterated by the glory of God as he is. To be able to see God would truly be like being a merchant who has discovered a pearl, a treasure, hidden in a field, and he goes and sells all that he owns so that he could have this one thing. Friends, the Feast of the Transfiguration is a great mystery though not only due to the pyrotechnics in the face of Jesus. It is the mystery of life through death. It is the mystery of a crucified king. And it is the mystery of our participation in the divine life so that entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be richly provided for us. As you come this morning to receive your King, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, you are being transformed into him. The only thing that we can do is live as children of light. Don't shrink back. Do not allow the doubt and failure of others to surround you. Have good heroes. Read about Moses and Elijah and Thomas and Seraphim. And climb up into the mountain that is Christ our God, never ceasing, never looking back. Come and receive life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.